0: The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come now to consider your incarnation and all the events that happened uh, before that, we ask God that you would uh, bless the reading of your word and the people who have come to study your word. We pray, Lord, that you would lift the veil and that you would speak uh, your holy words over us. Uh, Father in heaven, give us the uh, Spirit to know you. Uh, to love you and to commit our lives to you daily. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so I'm I'm not super concerned about the fact that people are still getting breakfast. I think that's fantastic. And I want bacon. All right, um, so last week we started uh, in the New Testament. We've gone pretty much all through the Old Testament um, in the E100, Essential 100. And last week we started in the New Testament, and we saw that it is new in the sense that it is closest to us in time. It is new in the sense that it is talking about the coming of the Messiah. It is new because the covenant is for all people and not just for Jews. But it is uh, a continuation of the same story. It is not new because it's a different story. It's new because it's the, the most recent part of the same story. God has always been a God of mercy Love and grace, and God is still a God who hates and judges sin. That is important for us. Both of those things—it's the same God in both Testaments. The Law and the Prophet have all been pointing. Uh, the Law and the Prophets have all been pointing us towards the promising uh, coming, the promised coming of the Messiah. Because the question of the Bible has always been, can, how can ho- unholy people have a relationship with the holy God? How can unholy people have a relationship uh, with a holy God? Uh, get your act together. That is an insufficient answer to that question. It is the one we default to. Clean up your act. But it is not a sufficient uh, act. It's not a sufficient answer. God is going to have to solve the problem. So last week we looked at the Gospel of John, this, the preamble uh, in the beginning was the word. We remember this? John, as we said, starts cosmically. John um, starts from the heavens and works his way down to earth. But the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, start with... Sort of start on the ground level. Now, you remember what the word synoptic means? You can kind of think about it uh, if you break it apart. Optic is seeing, and sin, like synergy, is with, seeing with, seeing together. It's one eye. We're, Matthew, Mark, and Luke see things the same way. And so they start sort of on the ground level and they work uh, towards making the case that Jesus is the Son of God. So, um, Today, we're in Luke 1 and 2. Luke 1 and 2. Uh, and far too much to cover uh, in the remaining time that we have. Uh, if, if we were to get down in the weeds, which, is, which I love to do. I love to get down in the weeds uh, in Scripture. But, um, but it, begins, uh, it begins right where the Old Testament left off. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, the prophet Malachi. And uh, God promised through the prophet Malachi that His messenger was going to come ahead of Him and was going to prepare the way for Him and He would come in the Spirit and the power of Elijah. Let me uh, flip back to the very last verses of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, and read those. It says, uh, this is verse 5 and 6 of chapter 4 of Malachi, "...Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet." before the before the great and awesome day of the lord now that in this case we're not talking about judgment day although I guess it is technically before judgment day but he is talking about the day before the lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest i come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction obviously the family unit has always been very important to the life uh, of of the Hebrew people. So, fast forward about four hundred years of this. We talked about this prophetic silence, and there is a priest doing his priestly duty. His name is Zechariah. He's an older guy. He has a, a wife named Elizabeth. She's an older woman. They do not have children, but they are faithful people. And his name has been drawn by lot. It was they were broken up into 24 divisions and every uh, they rotated divisions uh, who served in the temple and his, it was his division's turn he was in the v- division of Abijah um, and uh, which is really not significant but just uh, maybe like a Bible crossword puzzle you just write that down um, a little trivia and, um, and so he was serving the priest uh, at, serving as a priest his name was drawn by Lot and he went into the temple Now I always thought it was in the Holy of Holies like this was the Day of Atonement. But it doesn't seem like there was, it was not the Day of Atonement. Uh, he didn't go into the Holy of Holies. He just went into the temple to burn incense, as was the normal thing. And, I, and I, I didn't realize that. It was just a normal day. And the people were outside praying, and he went in. And it took a lot longer than they expected, because he's talking to Gabriel. Uh, we've seen Gabriel before. Gabriel was, we saw Gabriel in the book of Daniel. Gabriel is the archangel. Archangel. Archangel, um, and uh, and he shows up, and he says, "Hey, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid." <laughs> and I just think that is a, that is silly to say to say. Uh, if an angel showed up to, to you or me, I think we would um, be afraid. Uh, we'll just we'll call it uh, like that. And um, it would be it would be very disconcerting. He says, "Don't be afraid. Uh, in fact, uh, I have." come to you because God has heard your prayers and you and your wife, uh, your older wife, you're going to have a, a child. See, Luke starts way before anybody else does. Mark Hart, hardly mentions the birth. Matthew starts with Joseph. Um, but but um, Luke starts with John the Baptist. In Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. It's a Nazarite. We saw that with Samson. He's going to be a little bit better one than Samson was. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, hearts of the children to their father, the heavenly father in this case, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So, what, I mean, it just picks up right where it left off. This is the first chronological event that would have happened after that period of prophetic silence. And Zechariah, understandably, I mean, he's a priest after it, all this silence. And he just, he, he's not sure if it was just a matzah soup that he ate last night, but he's seeing this, this, uh, he's seeing this, this uh, vision. And Zechariah says, so he says to him, I think it's a pretty reasonable question. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered it, And I just picture this sort of thunder that comes with this answer. I am Gabriel. Just just this sort of blast of wind. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. And so you are going to be silent until this baby comes. So, and Elizabeth rejoiced! Um, <laughs> no, actually, so it, what's amazing about it is, is that, so at this point, I mean, the child is not conceived. He goes, he can't, he's mute, he comes out, everybody says he must have seen a vision. He goes home, and Elizabeth conceives. It's a pretty gracious lady, actually. And so, um, and so that's, that's the, um, we have that piece of the puzzle. This, the foretelling of this miraculous birth, everything seems to everything big seems to happen with a miraculous birth. We have two in Luke. And so there's this miraculous birth, this woman who is advanced in years, just like Sarai was, maybe not quite that, we don't know. But she was, um, she she conceives. And then we hear that in the sixth month, Gabriel comes back and he speaks to this time, a young girl. 14 years old, maybe. That's what most scholars think. Y'all, I have a 14 year old. I said, this is scary. Scary stuff. <laughs> Seriously. And she's a virgin. Another miraculous conception. And, and so he comes he comes to her and he says the same thing he said to Zechariah. Fear not. Fear not, right? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God Oh, she no, i no, I skipped ahead. Greetings, O favored One, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. Why? You know why she was great, greatly troubled at the saying? Why would God be with her? Because this is a patriarchal society. And so God surely favored men, and God didn't favor women who weren't married to a man. Why would God favor her? Now, I'm not saying that's the way it is. I'm just saying that's the way probably what her mindset uh, would have been. Please, don't put that on Facebook. You cannot not believe what our pastor said (laughs) today. No. Just trying to get her perspective. I'm troubled at the saying. Try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that's when the angel says, don't be afraid. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great, he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now, if you remember, when we look at David. God promises, that despite all of David's baggage and all of his mistakes, God says, I'm going to put the, a member of your family on the throne forever. And we see there is a line on the actual throne of uh, Israel for some time. most of them are not faithful men. But here we have Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophetic promise to David. He will always be on the throne. And Mary says something very similar to what Zechariah said, How will this be since I am a virgin? Interestingly, if you look in the Greek, it actually says, How will this be since I do not know a man? The word know is the same word. It wasn't used the same way, but it was the same word as... Zechariah used, how will I know this? I think Luke is doing that on purpose. Because, and it's hard for me to understand because Mary seems to be about, saying about the same thing. And the angel doesn't say, I am Gabriel and you're going to be quiet. He just says, I mean, he's just so gracious to this tender little girl. I mean, maybe Zechariah should have known better. He was a priest. He was Caesar. But he says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He'll be the Son of God. Now, Mary probably wasn't educated, <laughs> but she knew how things work. And that was a miracle. And he says, at, just, just so you know that it's, it's God who's at work here, and this isn't just crazy, it's your cousin, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. And so Mary goes and and sees her. But before she goes, she says something so wonderful. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now I want to say how brave, you probably know this, but how brave this was. Because in that society, Young Mary shows up, and she's pregnant, but she's not yet married. I mean, we know from Matthew that Joseph said, uh-uh, and he was going to put her away. No, he was going to put her away silently, uh, quietly, because he, he wasn't going to make a big fuss about it because he was a righteous man. But he wasn't having it, and he shouldn't have had it. And it was only because Gabriel went, then went to Joseph, which we see in, in Matthew, we don't hear about it here, and said, listen, she's telling the truth. Because who would believe it? So she, God was calling her Yes, she was favored, but he was calling her to a terrible situation socially. she was going to have to speak to her parents and say, "God came to me." You might expect her to say, "Will you just tell my daddy too?" Because I mean OK, but Because, I mean, it... They would have been a laughing laughingstock. So there's, some people often uh, say, we you know when Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and people say, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the son of Mary? They're, what they're actually say, saying is, isn't this that kid? Isn't this the kid that she said she was a virgin, but she was conceived out of wedlock? And, and he, that poor sad sack Joseph married her anyway. It would have been. And we don't hear about persecution overtly, but it just. Every scholar I've read on this assumes that it would have been a very difficult road for them. And so, perhaps understandably, she goes to Elizabeth. She leaves town. And she stays with her until basically until Elizabeth. Um, uh, has has John maybe right before now it doesn't say that it just says she went to Elizabeth she rose and went with haste into the hill country I mean I don't know I mean I don't know if that sounds dangerous I don't know I wouldn't let my daughter just okay I'll see you later three months and just hide off into the hills I don't know what uh, exactly that looked like but what happens when she walks into Elizabeth's home is she says hello, and the, and John in, in Elizabeth's womb jumps in such a way that Elizabeth knows that this is the Holy Spirit. Who remember the angel said to, to Zechariah, the Holy Spirit going to be uh, this child is going to be full of the Holy Spirit even in the womb, and the Holy Spirit in John in Elizabeth recognizes the Holy Spirit in. Jesus in Mary, and leaps for joy. And Elizabeth prophetically speaks, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She had not said, Oh, by the way, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. At least, it's not recorded for us. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's cute. She's a beautiful interaction between these two women. And what we see in this focus on on the women. Matthew, again, remember, he focuses kind of on, on Joseph. What we see in the improbability of the pregnancies in the focus of the women and in what we are about to hear in the Magnificat, where Luke is setting the tone for his whole Gospel because Luke is incredibly concerned with the uplifting of the downtrodden and the gathering in of those on the fringe. It is a remarkable theme. Now, I think this is probably because, uh, not just because the Holy Spirit was working in Luke, but also because Luke is a physician, and he was, he, was, um, he was called to minister to these kind of people. But we see this theme all throughout the Gospel of Luke, I think in a much more profound way than we see in Mark or Matthew, or even John, that, uh, that, that Luke is really concerned with God's God's concern for the poor and the outcast. And I think that's why we get such an emphasis on the poverty of Mary and Joseph. And and we get such emphasis on the testimony of the women. But Mary um, then gives her song of praise, which is called the Magnificat. Uh, for those of you from a Roman Catholic background, you you uh, you probably memorized this as part of your confirmation. Uh, it's a very <laughs> sacred and blessed um, song of, of Mary's, and and for us who come from a Protestant tradition, it we need to understand and own this as as sacred and holy, truly. But what is interesting to me uh, is that the Song of Mary, the Magnificat, which I'm going to read in just a moment. You probably know it and recognize it. But the Song of Mary, she doesn't say, I cannot believe that I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Or, I can't believe I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She doesn't say either one of those. (laughs) Um, Sorry, my own baggage there. Um, um, She talks about how God lifts up the lowly. And the only thing she really says about herself in this is that the way that God is treating me is just how He treats His people. That God lifts up the lowly. This is what she says, "...My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant." See? God is looking on the humble estate of His servant. "...And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed." Which... You might, if I said that, all generations are going to call me blessed. You think you are so arrogant, but actually, look. I mean, people, all the generations have called her blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She, her, the The attention is not on her; the attention is on him and what he is doing for her. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm; he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I mean, this, is the fla- this is the flavor of all of Luke's gospel. I mean, he is definitely focusing on Christ, on Jesus, and on the- Jesus as the Son of God. But the flavor all through is that He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And I just I just think if we really take the time to look at what she is saying, we can see how unexpected it is because she's just not talking about how weird it is that she's gotten pregnant by, or without having a husband. No intercourse. She's saying God is going to in the midst of a very scary social, social situation, she's saying, God has me. This is going to be a testimony, not just for now, but for generations to come, and all generations will call me blessed, because this is how God works. He lifts up the lowly. And I can just say again to all of us, I mean, we, we may not consider ourselves among the lowly. I don't like to think of myself that way, but that's how we need to find ourselves. I don't mean poor and down and out, but I mean humble, Willing to lift others up. Because that's the character of of God. So we start with Zechariah, John the Baptist. We moved to uh, Mary and and, um, Jesus. And then we're back to John the Baptist in the second part of of chapter 1. It came time for Elizabeth to give birth. Looks like Mary has just left. And they're going to name him Zechariah. Because Zechariah can't talk. And, and Elizabeth says, no, we've got to name him John. And they go to Zechariah, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. And he writes on the tablet and says his name is John. And at that point, he can, he can speak. This is actually on the eighth day. This is after his circumcision. So he, for, he, he had to be quiet for the whole first week <laughs> On that baby. It's probably a good thing. Um, so, um, so they name him John. And then Zechariah has a prophetic song. And again, it is about the character of God and the the pattern of God that He lifts up uh, the lowly. It's really uh, beautiful. But He finishes with saying, speaking over John, this eight-day-old child who's just been circumcised on the eighth day. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, To give the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. In other words, you, child, you, John, you're going to go before the Lord and you're going to tell people about the coming salvation. You're going to remind people that that God is uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you're going to tell people about the tender mercy of God. And then He is going to come in power and show them that mercy. And the child grew became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Which is the way that Luke is saying that John was just a country boy. Now, I've kind of gotten excited. I have. Uh, I'm not even looked at any of these notes that I wrote out for you. He was a Nazirite, right? He couldn't cut his hair, and he couldn't be around dead, and he couldn't. Yeah, he was. He was essentially a Nazarite. We don't. We don't get that word, but yeah, he can't. Yeah. So he was. a... I mean, he's always portrayed as just this wild, woolly, dreadlock, you know, bug flies around, his, you know, just um, a camel hair. You know, he's, just, he's always perceived as this sort of wild man in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What amazes me about the 14-year-old Mary is how articulate this 14-year-old was. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Well, she was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. what, how articulate she was. She was full of the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, it, let's be clear about that. She was not chosen because she's articulate. Because she was particularly holy, or she was just chosen because she was chosen. Now I do believe she's holy. I don't mean to to offend anyone's sensibilities, but uh, but she she's um, I, I am not one who thinks that she was without sin. She she was uh, she needed her Lord and Savior just as much as you and I. All right, so we uh, we then come to chapter two, and that is of course the famous uh, birth narrative we hear at Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We know, the, we know this um, so well. But what's interesting is that Luke doesn't really make that big a deal about the birth itself. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lay in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that's all he tells us. He gives like three paragraphs to the shepherds. He doesn't make a big deal about the birth, but the birth is a big deal. And I want to read from a um, a scholar, he's an Anglican scholar, named J.I. Packer. He started starting the Church of England. He's lived in Canada for a lot of years. and He's 90 now, I think. This is what he says. It's kind of long. He says, The real difficulty with which the Gospel confronts us, does not lie in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. The second person of the Godhead became the second man. You know what he means by that? Like Adam was the first man uh, representative. Jesus is the second man. Determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, that He took humanity without loss of deity. So that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as He was human. Here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons that's fully divine, fully man, within the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. The plurality of persons within the unity of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. There was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this. As is this truth of the Incarnation. This is the real stumbling block in Christianity. It is here that Jews, Muslims... Unitarians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and many of those who feel the difficulties uh, mentioned above about the virgin birth, miracles, and so on, have come to grief. It is from misbelief, belief, it is from misbelief, or at least inadequate belief, about the incarnation that difficulties at other points in the Gospel usually spring. But once the incarnation is grasped as a reality, the other difficulties dissolve. In other words, if it is God who is this man, then of course He can walk on water. <laughs> of course He can multiply bread. Of course He can heal the sick. And in fact, it's more disturbing that He should die than that He should rise again. If He is God, everything else falls into place. I think equally important is the bookend on the end. If He was such that He could rise from the dead, then surely He was God. But I don't think He minds if we, have, if we pick one of those. They're both pretty important. The mystery of the Word made flesh solves all the other mysteries. Which is the conclusion that the Synoptic Gospels are pushing us towards. That's why they, they're making their case. And In fact, today in the Gospel reading in the service, we have the Transfiguration, which is the, the closing argument in the case. This is the son of God. Everything after the transfer, transfiguration moves towards the cross and the empty tomb. They're making their case, but it begins with the fact this child that was born and laid in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn, that this in fact is God. Now, I need I just I want to say something because I would I really think this is probably unkind to ever say uh, in a Christmas Eve service. But there probably wasn't like a, he, he didn't get turned away from the Hampton Inn. Like The image of an innkeeper who says, no, you can go stay in the barn. Like that is, that's probably, that, it's from the King James, sort of. Uh, but the, root, the word inn is actually the same word as upper room. Interestingly enough. So, there was no room for them in the upper room, so they had to stay in the lower room, which is uh, where they kept the animals on winter nights because the animals kept the house warm. I know, that sounds like heresy. But it's Western heresy, not Christian heresy. <laughs> it messes with our pictures of, the, uh, of, of uh, I mean, our creche scene. Um, but it's probably... Um, there has been archaeological evidence that it probably wasn't... It was, it was someone who said, we already have people staying in our home that are is packed to the gills, and you got to have a baby. So what, then we, have the more, we have more room down here, and you can actually stay down here with, it's with the animals. It's probably not that clean, but you can lay them in the manger, and you'll have this room for yourself. So just something to chew on. But I'll never say it at a Christmas Eve service. <laughs> people will walk out. Yeah. But what is interesting then is that the spotlight goes from there uh, to the shepherds. Why would Luke emphasize that? Why wouldn't he put the spotlight on this unbelievable event God has just been born? It's because the shepherds were the outcasts. They were the lowly. Isn't it amazing that God didn't say, "All right, you know"? Because God, I mean, He's cosmic. He's timeless. He could, He could have picked. He could have, He could have had it. You know, this child in Hollywood with all the cameras around him. You know, but He, He just had it in the dark. And the first people He told were sitting on a mountain, watching sheep. And I always say, and we actually put this in the Live Nativity, that if He had told us, if He had had us in front of the cameras, we would have hidden every reason that He came. We would have put on our toothiest grins and flashed our best smiles, and we would have, we would have put on our best clothes, and everybody would have gotten ready for the Son of God! And we would have hidden everything He came for, the sin and the brokenness, the relational hardships. He came, snuck in behind the curtain and came to change the world. There's a lot more. Mary ponders all these things up in her heart. Jesus is presented at the temple with Simeon and Anna. Uh, then we have the boy Jesus, which is just a great story. I can imagine. You know, I mean, it's one thing to lose you know, your kid. Everybody's probably known that panic. You, you can't find your kid for, for a few minutes. It's one thing to lose your own kid. It's another thing to lose God's kid. (laughs) Three days! (laughs) Oh no! Three days! So I encourage you to go uh, and look uh, at the end of chapter 2. But just, if if you have to pull one thing away from this, know that the mystery of the Incarnation solves everything else. And it was... It was a continuation of the story. And this is the beginning of the final chapter that says Jesus has come to be the solution to the problem that the Bible is asking. How can unholy people have a relationship with holy God? Amen? Amen. Alright. Questions? Com- comments, questions? We've got about room for um, just a minute. Have we been told that re- the resurrection is the whole key to... Haven't we been told that the resurrection is the whole key? Yeah, I probably said that. It is. Because remember I said, I, I just think, I kind of come at it from the other end. If, if He rose from the dead, then, I'm, then of course He can. But it, it's both. Yeah. People will say, what's more important, Christmas or Easter or Good Friday? And the answer, of course, is what? Yes. yes. Right. I mean, you can't, it doesn't make any sense that He rose from the dead if He wasn't God-born. But it doesn't, so what if God was born if He didn't die for our sins and rise from the dead? So I mean, you gotta have both, for sure. But he's gotta be born before he can die. So that's well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, dude. Well, he does. I mean, he could have just appeared, but it, but it, it's important that he lived the whole life because you know, listen, it, he it's great that we have a picture of him as a teenager, isn't it? Because you and I were teenagers once. We need for him to redeem that time, right? <laughs> Not you, but my mom. That, do you hear my mom? She just said, "Amen." She's over here. One, one uh, mom. She if I if I would let her up here, she would tell the story of when uh, our priest asked her uh, when I was uh, thirteen. She said, "How uh, how are you doing, Allison?" And and she said, "Joe Gibbs is thirteen. That was her answer. <laughs> The same age as Jesus, and I'm sure that's what, the, that's what that priest said. You know, that's just the same age as Jesus. I don't think that's what she said. All right, any other comments or thoughts, real quick? That's enough about me. All right, God bless you. Go to church. See you next week. Oh, next week, what are we in next week? Look at, look, I forgot to look. Oh, it's chapter, it's chapter 54 and 55. Matthew, oh, that's temptation. Temptation Narrative. Yeah, great. Temptation.